ago while I was preaching through the letters that Jesus gave to the seven churches in the first two chapters of Revelation. I told a story that's somewhat well known. It's a story about a tightrope walker named Rondon, a great tightrope master. He would tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. He would do it frontwards and backwards, you know, like basically doing cartwheels. I don't know if he really did, but you get the idea. This guy was phenomenal at tightrope. and so confident in his ability that he challenged all of the onlookers, who would dare come on my back and I'll walk you across? Because he says, who, who thinks I could do it? And they all say, of course you could. Now who's the volunteer, you know? And so the moment of truth, you say, oh, I believe, I believe. That's true. And then faith means, do you actually step out onto the rope and climb on the guy's back? That's true faith. And so a few months ago, I used that story as an illustration for true faith and trusting that God is going to hold you and keep you and give you a cross. And you can believe and trust in Him. And the only thing you should not, the only thing that you need to do is just hold on to, to God. Now, if you try and save yourself when the winds blow and you're feeling, oh, no, I'm going to fall, like, at one point, as the story goes, a guy did come and climb on his back. And as they were on the tightrope in the middle of the road, the wind started blowing, and he's, like, trying to compensate, and Blondin stops, and he says, no, stop. Don't move anymore. Just trust me. Just hold and cling on to me. I'll get you across. But if you keep moving, you're going to mess this thing up. We're going to fall. It's a really good illustration of saving faith. But as I thought about that story, I thought this is the perfect moment for me to explain one step further. What if halfway through, the guy doesn't just try and compensate his weight, but he looks down at Blondin, the great tightrope master, and says, hey man, I'm watching you, and I think I can do this now. How about I climb off right here, right in the middle of the tightrope, and I just go the rest of the way my That would be idiotic, right? Like, no, no, you're, you're not the expert. I'm the expert. Hold on to me. You're going to make us both fall if you try and climb up. Like, this is terrible. Don't do this. That very point is the point of our passage. That's the big idea of Galatians 3, 1 through 9. If you have climbed up onto Jesus' back, metaphorically speaking, and said, look, I'm going to trust you to cross the raging waters through the storms of this life, and Jesus, you will get me home. Do not halfway through climb off of Jesus and say, hey, I'll take care of it from here. That's not how this works. It's Christ alone from the beginning to the end. That's the point of today's message, because that's the point of today's passage. So if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. In Galatians 3, 1 through 9, I want you to be on the lookout as I read this passage. This is the big idea in sort of theological language. Sanctification, that's the bigger word that we use to talk about growing more holy, growing more like Jesus, becoming more Christian. You know, we, we don't just arrive when we believe in Jesus. This, this is a journey across the tightrope. And so that journey is called sanctification. Sanctification, in short, this is what I want you to see. It is the art of getting used to your justification. What you're going to see in the passage that I'm about to read, we're going to be on page 973 in the Black Bibles around you. When I say chapter 3, that's that larger number, and then we're going to read the smaller numbers, the verse numbers, 1 through 9. So follow along as I read. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has been? was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Why are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? that he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or 
by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, I know that we're in the middle of this book. Some of you may not have been along this journey with us, but here's a little word of encouragement. Whether you are well-versed in Galatians just because of your own Christian background, or whether you've never heard this book taught ever, I was listening on the radio recently about some uh, people talking about a popular television show. I don't recommend the show, so we're just going to leave it out. But let's just say there's a popular television show. And this popular television show has lots of characters and all kinds of storylines going on. And so people were talking about how great it is, but another person on the radio said, oh man, it's like already season four, season five, and like, I watched an episode, but it was just so hard to catch up. Like, there was so much going on beforehand in seasons one, two, and three. Like, I don't know who's who. And then the guys on the radio just turned over to him. And they said, listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. Give it another shot. Because if you get to know the characters, but after a while, you'll start to pick it up. You'll, you'll get the story. And in fact, you should just go back and start watching the previous seasons and catch up. Because, man... When you start seeing the whole thing come together, it's awesome. Now, people can talk that way about a television show, and a rather inappropriate, ungodly television show, and get so excited about TV. How much more should we, in the middle of Galatians, now some of you have not been here, like there's been two chapters, some really important stuff. You're like, man, who are these characters? I don't know who Abraham is, and who's the Galatians, and Paul, and the guy writing this, and, and you might just like, oh, I'm so wrong. And my hope and prayer is that today's message can stand alone, and even if you don't know the background, you'll get something out. But let me just encourage you, it is so worth So much more worth any television. Give the time and energy it takes to learn who Abraham is. To, to learn about Paul. Go back, we have previous sermons recorded, they're on our website, you can listen back to the past four or five months. payoff will be good. So if there's things that you're missing because you've not been following along in the grand story, I think that it will be well worth the effort playing on. But for the sake of even like the TV show, you can't retell the story every time. We're just going to dive in.
the sign that you're connected with Abraham and his family, well, then we should probably have to get circumcised, right? That's, that's what's going on. And he's saying, no, you do not have to be physically born or physically circumcised to be in Abraham's family. Let me show you that Abraham was not made righteous by his circumcision, but by his faith. That's what he's saying here. if you want to be connected to Abraham and be a true person of God, then what you need is faith. If you want to be accepted by God, made righteous in God's You know, this brings up a very, very important question. Many, many times as a pastor, I have heard this question asked. So how is it that people become Christians or believers or get saved before Jesus ever exists on the earth. Or in other words, people might say it this way, man, Christianity's only 2,000 years old. There's a lot of other religions much older than Christianity. What do we do about all the people before Jesus came onto the scene 2,000 years ago? Have you ever thought about that question? Like, how did Moses go to heaven?
were marked off in the church. Is it circumcision? No, it's, it's not circumcision. We're marked off by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we do the same That's why we believe the same So the New Testament bad that you can assume that every single person in the church has is the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause just as a quick parenthesis, because Embassy Church has a conviction. We believe that we are a baptistic church, meaning that when we do baptism, that those baptisms are an external symbol of the internal mark of the Holy Spirit, that somebody has believed on Jesus, that when they believe on Jesus, that they have died, with Christ, and then we bury them into the water, and then metaphorically bring them back up, well, we do bring them back up, literally, but like, metaphorically die, and then metaphorically rise again, and so that's how we do baptism. Now, if you've been noticing, we've never done a baptism of an infant. We've never baptized a baby up on stage. And a lot of churches do that. Catholic churches do that, Presbyterian churches do that, Methodist churches, why, why don't we do that? Now, this is not like a big point. This is a parenthesis, okay? But I just want to briefly explain that in Galatians, circumcision is now being tied to the Holy Spirit. If infant baptism was the replacement of circumcision, which is the argument given by people who do infant baptism, that infant baptism is circumcision. See, we're all connected to Abraham by faith, all in agreement there. So therefore, we should, instead of doing circumcision, infant baptize all the babies like a circumcision kind of ceremony. In Galatians, you do not see any hint, idea, or anything connected to circumcision, baptism. What you see it connected to is circumcision and the Holy Spirit. That's because the parallel between the Old and New Testament is that circumcision was a cutting off to say you're going to be distinct and separate. And the New Testament parallel to that is God's Holy Spirit circumcising your heart inwardly. So we as a church, one of the reasons why we're Baptistic is that we only baptize people who have had that change in their heart. Been changed from the inside out. And that we can assume, because this text assumes that all Christians who have faith in Jesus have been the Holy Spirit. They've been changed. They've been transformed. So if you come up to me today and it's your first time at Embassy Church, you say, hi, I, uh, I just came for the very first time and uh, I just want to get baptized right now, today. More than likely, we will not just baptize you right now today because we would like to get to know you and say, do you have God's spirit in you? Have you been changed? Let's hear your story. Let's get to know you a bit. We only do baptisms when we feel confident that somebody has in fact had true belief and true belief is corresponding with the Holy Spirit. If you've received Christ by faith, then you have received the Holy Spirit in your heart. So close that parenthesis up. That might just be a little helpful thing so you all can understand why we do what we do. And uh, it's, it's not the most important thing we're going to talk about, but it is something that's important. And there's always questions that I have to ask about why we do this or that. So going back to verse you see that he assumes that they all have the Holy Spirit. And he tells them how they got it. And he reminds them of their personal history, the history they had with the Holy Spirit. And he says, do you remember when you were converted? Do you all remember your conversion? For those of you here that are Christians, do you remember the distinct difference, even if it was a day, a moment in a day, or weeks or months? Do you notice the difference when you thought, you know, I don't really care about the Bible. I don't care about God. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about the cross. I don't care. Just really indifferent, maybe even antagonistic. And then all of a sudden, something changes. And you, like, love the Bible now. Maybe some of you are here at church today. And you're like, you know, there's a thousand other things that I would have wished I used, like, would have done in the past. But now this is the place I want to be. I look forward to Sundays. You know, people tell me that. And I don't think it's because of me. I don't think it's because I'm preaching just amazing sermons. I think they just love the Bible. They love God's Word. And they found a church where we're just going to read the Bible. We're going to sing the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. They're like, I want more Bible. Like, what does that? How does that happen? How does somebody go from, I don't care about the Bible, to, I love the Bible? 
Has that happened to some of you? I think it has, right? That's called the Holy Spirit. Now, how did that happen? Was it because you started finally obeying the Ten Commandments? Was it because you finally got your act together? How come when we hear the stories downstairs or up here on the platform when people are getting baptized or sharing their story, it seems like it's the exact opposite. It's when people are like, they're worse. Like, in fact, I got the Holy Spirit when I was at my lowest of lows. How many times is that the story? Because the reason people receive the Spirit, we see very clearly in this text, he repeats it a number of times, is hearing by faith. Hearing by faith. You're a Christian today because you heard a message, not because you were born into a Christian family. All Christians who are true Christians are converts. They converted. They went from unbelief to faith in Jesus because they heard a message of salvation that Jesus Christ is the true King of Kings, that he entered into history, that he took on all the sin of the world on his perfect, righteous life, died on a cross for our sins, rose again three days later. They heard that message and they believed. And that belief entered in the Holy Spirit into their life and they started to have a changed heart. Like loving the Bible, for example. Like wanting to go to church and spend their Sunday mornings here. Like wanting to care for other people, the poor, fellow brothers and sisters in the church. How did that happen? Because of faith in hearing the message. Here, here's how it works practically. I hope this is happening week in and week out at different various levels at this church. But this is the way it works. The message gets preached, it gets sung, it gets read, it gets heralded week in and week out. And for me, when I hear this message, it starts changing my heart. Because I start to think, man, if the God of the universe has treated me this way, and I'm so incredibly undeserving of that love and grace and forgiveness, what I deserve is so much worse than that. But that's not what he gave me. He didn't give me what I deserve. He gave me grace and love. He gave me Jesus. If he did that for me, my heart just starts overflowing. I, I just want to help people. I want to love people. I want to serve. I'm happy to give my time to someone. I'm willing to lay down my life for you on a day-to-day -day level because Jesus already laid down his life for me. Has that happened to you, friends? Now, what led to those good works in my life, in your life? Hearing by faith. The message we preach isn't, now go be a good Christian, love your neighbor. It's Jesus loved you when you were his enemy, so go love your neighbor. Jesus came down and died for you, so die for others. Because you will never, ever die in such a way that compares the cost that which he gave. Do you see how this works? Hearing by faith is the way that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and therefore it is the way we grow as Christians. I love the way this phrase says this. Look at chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 4. Sorry, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Now, this word perfected just means growing to fuller completion, meaning you're not... a do any of you feel like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm done. I have no more moral improvement, no more need to work on me. I'm like, I'm a finished product. So if you think that, then you are obviously not a Christian. All Christians need to humble themselves and first and foremost realize, I'm a sinner. And I have a lot of work. There's a lot of mess going on in here. And so that's what's being referred to here. It's this idea of completion, not perfection as in like you're completely perfect but rather that they're, you're growing wholer and wholer and more complete. And so that's, that's the phrase. So are you foolish if you began this Christian walk by the Spirit, by hearing, by faith, why are you now trying to grow in Christianity by works of the flesh, by trying and doing something externally? That's not how it works. You don't manipulate your heart to just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my wife better today. I'm just, I'm going to do it. Is that love? Is that how I love my children more? Is by just like grunting and groaning and disciplining myself and yeah, I'm gonna, no. God's demand for us is love. And the only way you're gonna grow in love
to love God and love your neighbor is if he changes your heart. So do you see how all of the Christian life, from the beginning to the end, is faith in a message, faith in the message of the gospel, so as it's been so well illustrated. The gospel message of Jesus Christ coming down, becoming a human, dying for your place, that message, that is not the ABCs of Christianity. That is the A to Z of Christianity. It is not the diving board, which we like, okay, I'm going to jump into the Christian swimming pool, and I'm going to swim around in all these other things that aren't related to the gospel. The gospel is the pool we swim in every day. It is not the intro 101 class. Okay, you want to get into Christianity? Take gospel 101 and then now you can become a christian and then we put that class aside and then we do all these other classes about the bible and apologetics and about uh comparative religions and about moral things no no no. the school you are in every day every class is the gospel do you see what i'm trying to say here so many times i feel like people misunderstand this point and it could be some of you here today when i preach about jesus week in and week out that is not the time for you to tune out and be like, okay, yeah, I got that one. I heard that one. Oh, he's, he must be talking. Oh, there's some new visitors. Oh, he's probably just talking to them. They need to hear this right now. I'll pray for them right now. No, I'm preaching to you. All of you. If you are not of faith, you need to hear that the only way to be right with God is through Jesus alone, not by your works. And if you are a Christian today, you need to hear that it is only by the righteousness of Jesus that God is pleased with you. You need that every day. So this message gets preached weekly, not because I just can't come up with other good things to preach. Well, what are we going to give them today? Uh, how about the gospel? Well, they heard that one last week. Let's give them something different. It's because we as a church are convinced and committed, not just me, but your elders, and the congregation members, we're convinced that the kind of church we want to be is a church that believes this point. We do not begin by hearing by faith and then just say, okay, now I got the rest. Blondin, I'll take over from here. Let me walk across the tightrope myself. No. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to change us every day. I feel like the older I get as a person and as a Christian, the more I'm realizing how important the Holy Spirit is. And this is the first time that we're going to see this in Galatians, and you're going to hear it again and again as the book goes on. Galatians is going to hammer this point home. The opposite parallel of circumcision is the Spirit. Depend on the Spirit to change your heart. Is that your view of growing as a Christian? that we depend on the Holy Spirit to change us. This week I had a, a, a practical conversation with somebody not in this church, and they were saying, Pastor Phil, I messed up, man. Really messed up. Should not have said what I just said to somebody, and they're a really close friend, and I'm feeling terrible about it, and I'm really afraid right now of the consequences of what I just did. Now insert in your story, right? You ever been there? And one of the things I encouraged this brother with was to say, this person that you hurt, do you believe that they're a Christian? Yeah, of course. Do you believe they have God's spirit in them? Yeah. Then trust that God will lead them to forgiveness. That's not a normal thing. Flesh, the normal reaction, I heard what he did. I'm like, yeah, norm I said, normally, they're going to think you're terrible. They're going to think you betrayed them. They're going to be upset with you. That's, that's the natural reaction. So don't be surprised if that's what you get. But I think you should hope beyond that, that supernatural miracles changing and transforming from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you all trust that? Do you believe that? Isn't that why it's so good for us to hear stories of conversions? This is why we gather before church, downstairs in the breakfast area, and we hear stories every week about God's Spirit moving so you can be reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the story you heard today from Jenny. Stroke, almost died. Everybody's saying, there's no chance she's going to live. Okay, she made it. Well, that was a miracle, but there's no chance she's going to have any ability to do anything. 
she's just going to be, you know, vegetable state, like no ability to walk or talk or whatever. Oh, well, a miracle again. And what I love about their story is the fervent prayer of Christians. Do you believe that God answers prayers and sends the Holy Spirit and still does miracles? That's in our text, isn't it? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Is it because Jenny was just, well, she did a good job this week, so we'll give her a miracle? Yeah. No, faith, faith. God, God, we know she doesn't deserve it. We know. But we trust. We trust that you're the God who says you care for us, and we trust that you have power over all things and we're praying now for a miracle. And he got one and two miracles. You see what I'm saying here? It's, it's important that we do not overdo this. Many Christians today have, have gone across the boundary of it's all about experientialism. It's all about trying to muster up the Spirit. No, no. The Spirit comes very simply, preach the gospel, hearts warmed and transformed, pray by faith. God does all kinds of things, but we don't need to have an experientialism where it's all about like, well, nobody got healed today, so I guess the Spirit wasn't with us. That's, that's overdoing it. We, we, can, we can affirm that the Spirit of God has power to not just heal people, but has power to change and transform, and he can do that slowly and surely as we keep preaching the gospel week in and week out with little baby steps. Don't you guys think it's miraculous if somebody's been betrayed, like that phone call I had earlier this week, and they respond with forgiveness? Is, is that not miraculous? Why would you do that? I just heard this week a story about a guy that was had his daughter killed and he goes publicly and tells all the people that had the daughter killed I forgive all of them because I'm a Christian and I believe like everybody was just you know like it was this amazing story of forgiveness that's supernatural that's Holy Spirit so he reminds them of Abraham to see that his history the history of the Bible is about faith and he reminds them of their conversion and tells them now you're growing in 